Hello and welcome to episode number 77 of the Agro-Innovations Podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture. This episode of the Agro-Innovations Podcast has been prepared for release onto our website, agroinnovations.com slash podcast, on February 1st, 2010. The Agro-Innovations Podcast is featured on our website and is also featured on 95.1 WMRW, Low Power FM Radio in Vermont, and is also featured on Red House Art Radio. You can also find Agro-Innovations on Twitter, twitter.com slash agro-innovations. And a reminder that this and all episodes of the Agro-Innovations Podcast are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. On this episode of the Agro-Innovations Podcast, we are joined by Mark Feedman, who is the founder of CREAR, which is an acronym for the Regional Center for the Study of Rural Alternatives, which is an agricultural school in the mountains of the Dominican Republic. Welcome to the Agro-Innovations Podcast. Hi. Nice to be here. Well, it's interesting that uh, I actually visited CREAR back in April of 2004, and uh, wrote an article about it, which has been on the agroinnovations.com website for probably since about 2004. And you actually got in touch with me uh, wanting to know what my relationship with CREAR was, and we kind of got talking, and I figured you would be a great candidate for the podcast interview. So it's it's quite good that you got in touch with me, and it's really quite a pleasure to have you here on this podcast. Great. Thanks a lot. Now, let's start by talking about the history and the origins of CREAR. Well, that goes back a ways. Um, history and the origins of, uh, of CREAR it goes, goes back, actually, uh, to uh, 1971, which is uh, when, uh, when CREAR, from 1971 to 1975, uh, Crayon was, uh, or, or sorry, actually it was uh, up until about 1981. From 1971 to 1981, Crayon was a Peace Corps site. Um, my wife and I were uh, recruited uh, by Peace Corps in 1971 to uh, initiate a project on the Dominican Haitian frontier. Uh, Treyar is located in, a, in a, an agrarian reform settlement, what was an agrarian reform settlement back then, uh, in the uh, upper Artibonito uh, uh, watershed. So we, we had uh, experience in small-scale agriculture and conservation agriculture, uh, and Peace Corps recruited us to uh, work with the uh, Agrarian Reform Institute on natural resource uh, development along the Haitian uh, Dominican frontier. So there were lots, and there are uh, still, but at that time uh, there were uh, a lot of uh, slash and burn farming was, and I suppose is, uh, I'm sure, in fact, is still uh, going on there. Uh, and it was, a, it is a beautiful uh, area, high up in the Artibonito watershed, and. Uh, of course, the area is suffering uh, advanced degradation and ongoing advanced degradation because of the uh, poverty and the 
lack of education and training uh, available to the uh, farming population there. So we we started there um, working with the Dominican government and the uh, local farmers uh, and continued working there. And uh, we left in 1975, went on to do some other work uh, in in Honduras and uh, then some teaching in uh, in England. And from there, we were invited by the Dominican government to um, establish... uh, or reestablish a training center uh, in the Dominican Republic. So we did. We went back. Uh, they visited our our center in Europe and uh, looked at the kind of agriculture that we were uh, practicing, and uh, I suppose you could say preaching as well, uh, seeking to extend in any event. And uh, they uh, sent a, a group of uh, agronomists and scientists and soil conservationists to look at the sustainable agriculture uh, as it was being practiced in Europe. And uh, and following that, they invited us to uh, come to the Dominican Republic. We returned to Rio Limpio, naturally. We had years of work invested there, and we had an infrastructure uh, inv- uh, already already built, a human infrastructure as well. Um so we returned and reestablished the center in collaboration with Peace Corps. Uh, and uh, that center is uh, functioning today, and you found it as you found it after uh, quite a number of years. Uh, we focus primarily on uh, leadership training for young uh, people from, from the area, education and training, technical technical training in soil conservation and uh, intensive uh, French-intensive biodynamic terrace gardening and and farming. Um, it's become uh, it's become over the years a, a textbook uh, model of uh, watershed management and uh, intensive hillside farming, sustainable uh, farming on hillsides. What year? That's a little bit about its history. What year did you go back? to establish the center at the request of the Dominican government? 1982. Okay. 1982. And uh, in 1990, we graduated our first class of local instructors. And those those instructors uh, are still, still there, still in the area, are still doing some kind of uh, instruction and training work. Uh, in the area, we graduated many classes of, of young farmers, and um, well, there's uh, there's been quite an expansion of, of uh, organic agriculture in in the island on Hispaniola, especially the Dominican Republic. Now, tell us a little bit about you. You mentioned briefly uh, in your description of the history of CREAR, the practices that you were trying to introduce to the area. Talk about these practices in a little more detail. Um, and don't you don't have to shy away from some of the technical aspects. Our listeners are pretty savvy to, to those things. Well, uh, the, the, uh, I must say that uh, in terms of the soil conservation uh, for uh, small farmers, and watershed management on on steep lands. Uh, I am a, a total devotee of uh, 
uh, T.C. Sheng, who uh, he wrote a, a uh, several several works. He was the he worked for the Food and Agriculture uh, Organization of the United Nations. Uh, he, he's probably in his uh, late eighties by now. Uh, he worked. Uh, he's a professor emeritus at Colorado State University, and uh, I, I can best recommend for those uh, who are interested in soil conservation uh, and, and watershed management. I can recommend the Foul Soils Bulletin Number 60, if you can find it. If it's uh, still in print, if it isn't, it, it should be. Um, so I would I would recommend. Uh, uh, that we're just doing straight textbook uh, uh, soil conservation, uh, following the principles that are outlined in, in uh, T. C. Sheng's work. So we build uh, uh, steepland terraces. Uh, we do hillside ditches with, with barrier strips. Everything is on the contour. Uh, the 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 innovation. Uh, what we what we introduced together with the uh, terracing is these are agricultural terraces. These are not terraces uh, that you would imagine being built for a road or something like that, or a railroad, uh, you know, on a mountainside. Uh, these are agricultural terraces, so that means in in terms of French intensive biodynamic uh, methodology, these these uh, terraces are are trenched. Full trenched. That means uh, three spits deep. Uh, spit being the the length of and uh, width of a spade, right? So that we we've applied uh, classical horticultural uh, uh, techniques to the hillside terracing. We did very very intensive terracing terracing work. Uh, you may be familiar with John Jevons. Are you familiar with the name yes, John Jevons? Yes, of course, the Double Dig Garden. Yeah, right, right. Well, John John has been working for years following Alan Chadwick's uh, French Intensive Biodynamic Methodology. Uh, his book was written after he visited uh, Chadwick's place at Covalo, uh, uh, where my wife and I studied with Alan. And... Uh, so we're talking, uh, and it's, a, it's pretty broadly known what, we, what is meant by uh, French intensive biodynamic or intensive biodynamic uh, uh, soil treatment. And uh, so we applied that uh, into our situation in, in the, uh, on the hillsides, and it was uh, a tremendously successful, uh, productive uh, methodology, and we've got years and years and years already of, of uh, continuous uh, cultivation on those hillsides, and they're still producing, and they've, they've stood up under um, the hurricanes that have hit the Dominican Republic, uh, the intense rains of, uh, uh, which fall every year. So I think it's a, Trey R is a very good demonstration of how to stabilize the watersheds and maintain uh, uh, productive agricultural work without soil erosion and uh, holding on to the uh, not losing any of the soil capacity, uh, the field capacity of the soils. That is the ability of the soils to to uh, retain water, to hold water uh, without drowning, right? Without having a drowned soil. So you have a well aerated and well drained soil, but it can hold tremendous amounts of moisture. Um, 
various strips uh, and, and the hillside ditches, as I mentioned before, all of these uh, standard techniques are uh, described in uh, T.C. Shang's work. Um, but I think you'll also find them described in, in most any uh, a textbook on steepland agriculture. So in, in terms of the conservation work, we were absolutely uh, conventional uh, from, a, from a soil conservation and watershed management uh, point of view, the technology that's used. And uh, from an agricultural, intensive agricultural point of view, we introduced uh, organic agriculture into the country. And in particular, we've shown that the uh, intensive biodynamic dynamic, uh, uh, approach uh, is is very successful and uh, is uh, well. There, there are many levels of success. One is the level of success of being able to produce large quantities of of uh, of, uh, of produce uh, all year round uh, without damaging the soil and maintaining soil fertility. Um, but also, we've shown that in terms of time. Because a lot of small farmers don't have a lot of time. Uh, you know, that's a, a, a huge luxury for a very, very... Uh, uh, well, time is a luxury for any farmer. <laughs> uh, so, but, but this methodology is, is rapidly improves soils. And you can take a... If you think of the soil condition of Haiti, for example, this, uh, this methodology applied to the, uh, to the hillsides of Haiti would rapidly... Um, uh, turn things around there would reverse the uh, would would halt uh, diminish it well it would absolutely halt uh, an area that's protected under this system is immediately converted from the worst kind of eroded hill to uh, to a highly productive terraced hillside uh, which within a very very short time because of the applications of compost and the soil cultivation techniques and the intensive care et cetera et cetera in a very short time, in other words, in as little as a year, can begin to uh, uh, produce crops uh, in excess of what is normal, even on good soils. And you know, this is based on, on you know, on having done it. It's not based on a theory. Well, I should also say uh, that. Rio Limpio in the Dominican Republic, as as most of the country, gets a fair amount of moisture uh, compared to a lot of other more arid places in the tropics. Oh yes, yes indeed, yes indeed. Yeah. Oh, but of course we've been doing it here in New Mexico, which doesn't get a whole uh, a whole lot of moisture. Uh, this methodology works uh, in in a moisture scarce area. Uh, low rainfall area, this will best utilize whatever uh, water falls to the ground. It will hold it for long, uh, it will hold and store it for the longest period of time, make it uh, available to plants because the deep cultivation you see uh, allows the soil to get down below uh, uh, sorry it allows the moisture allows the water to drain down not away but it gets because it it, it, it just drains it has has uh, some place to go. It's, uh, you're dealing with a deeper soil, so you can get your root zone. Uh, you can you can have an 18-inch root zone without any any problem uh, on a uh, on a trenched terrace. In other words, the moisture uh, drains to below the 18-inch level, and then 
evaporation of the soil moisture slows down enormously. Uh, the deeper you can hold your water, of course, the longer you can hold your water. Well, it's interesting that you discuss biodynamic agriculture, and this was founded by the great Rudolf Steiner, who actually I first heard of in Rio Olimpio, and it's um, it was quite a great thing to have a you know a Dominican farmer sitting me down and explaining to me who Rudolf Steiner was and what his ideas were. And that Isn't that was, wonderful? It, that was a, a product of KR. Well, you know, that's really what all the work is about. You know, it's not about producing food. It's about producing people. It's about uh, uh, human development. Uh, agriculture, you know, uh, the food is a byproduct. What happens to us as human beings, uh, touching the earth and so deeply involved in, in the life processes of the planet, um, we become cultivated as we cultivate. Alan Chadwick used to say, you know, when you cultivate the soil, you cultivate yourself. And that's uh, that's really true. And so so it's, it's, it's really about people. Farming is about people. I mean, to me and, and I, many of my friends as well. But you experienced it right there when you say, you know, and also many people, we trained Peace Corps volunteers at the center for many, many years. Uh, it may still be going on, I'm not sure. Um, but up until quite recently, uh, we trained Peace Corps volunteers, uh, and almost almost every training group remarked, because, of course, all the trainers, their instructors and their trainers, were our Dominican students. And and uh, and these are students. They were our students, but you know the, we graduated the first class in in in, uh, in 1990. So some of the people, like like Mingo Alcantara, uh, just to, to name one, he, he was one of the original graduates. He's still there. He's still one of the principal instructors. And uh, for these are very talented. Excellent communicators and instructors and teachers that uh, they become, and all of the people that come there for training or whatever kind of experience, because we have there are, there are college groups that go down there and, and get experience in service learning, and so they do that now. Last year there were groups that went down. So the station is still functioning, um, and uh, everyone uh, comments on. Uh, the quality and what they get themselves out of being uh, taught by uh, people who are what you might call practitioners. They're farmers, they're teachers, but they're farmers. They train, they're trainers, but but they themselves do the work as well. So that's something that uh, is is of great importance, uh, probably the utmost importance. Well. Obviously, CREAR has been a project over 40 years um, that you have dedicated your energy and time to, and many others have done the same. And one of the great successes of that is, as you said, being able to uh, be explained the virtues and, and details of biodynamic agriculture by a Dominican farmer. On the flip side of that, what have been some of the 
primary obstacles to the sustainability of the center? Well, administrative capacity, um, leadership building. You have to have a, 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 a leadership group that is interested in bringing on more leaders. Don't see young, upcoming uh, uh, minds as threats, but that see you know future generations as being the purpose of of the educational process. So you have to give give people a chance to learn every aspect. For for some people, that can be very threatening, especially if your own job is at risk. <laughs> But in any event, administrative capacity and the building of administrative capacity, uh, having opportunities to do that, um, that's that's very difficult to achieve, or it was uh, for us. Um, there, there has to be a real a real desire uh, in the part of uh, on the part of leadership to make leadership training, bringing new leaders along. Uh, the, of the highest priority. So that's that's a mindset, and and that's of course difficult to work. Money, you know, money's always hard to come by. But of, of course, we were earning a lot of our money through through the training programs that we did. Um, it is a training center. It is a demonstration center. It's a school and educational center. Uh, and it's meant to be that. It's not meant to be a money-making productive farm, although every area, or we used to have, every, every area used to have, keep its own accounts and uh, it was run on a, on a, you know, teaching farm economy uh, as well. So, so uh, a good leadership is, is, uh, is difficult to come by, and not, not there anywhere in the world leadership is, is hard to come by and I'm sure as we can see as we look around our own our own world here um, so do you have suggestions for people after so many years of working with this do you have suggestions for people what not to do or what to do to be more successful uh, and avoid maybe some of the pitfalls you might have encountered through the years you just have to stick with it um, that, that's that's uh, it, you have to understand that, that the work is uh, the work that was that we started as Peace Corps volunteers in Rio Olympio in 1972 is still going forward. I mean, it never stopped being a Peace Corps site, and in our minds, although we were not Peace Corps volunteers for you know since 1975. Uh, but in, in, in my mind, uh, I kind of never stopped being a Peace Corps volunteer, and this project that we founded at that time was sound at that time, has continued to prove to be sound. Uh, it takes it takes a long time to do. Development is is uh, is a very very long uh, long term task, and understanding that. Uh, is, I guess, uh, the most important advice I would give to people going into development. Uh, that and uh, learning from, uh, you understand that you you have to learn before you can teach. So we spent years there learning from the local community. 
I guess I guess that would be uh, as in terms of a suggestion. I would certainly suggest that you develop the attitude of a student in the community, even though you think you have stuff to teach. And 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 I'm sure that you know when people go out in, into this work, do have things to teach, uh, but they have to learn first. And uh, we always found that uh, the communities in which we were living and working. Uh, our teachers were there, so I guess that's that's one thing I would say, just uh, off the bat. Well, I remember when I traveled to Rio Limpio, and as you take the road into the town, one of the things that you see is there's still a lot of erosion. Naturally, there's still a lot of slash and burn agriculture. Oh yes. Uh, oh yes. Terraces are not uh, everywhere. I saw some I saw some uh, some recent photos and I noticed the same thing. I noticed that uh, really since uh, from what I could see um, since about 1995 uh, when I made my last visit there um, the the terracing that was ongoing seems to have come to uh uh, it's not a halt. It's certainly uh, dramatically reduced. And the areas that I that I would have imagined, I was looking through some of my old photos uh, last night, and I was looking at the terracing that had been done on the farms and, and on the hillsides, and uh, I was surprised and disappointed to see that that terracing had not really uh, uh, taken hold. Um, now that kind of terrace work needs is is it needs uh, a lot of support for a farmer to do that. When when I was there, when we were doing that work, we had crews. We arranged you know mutual mutual help uh, uh, groups. We had uh, farmers associations. Uh, we had groups of students doing their lab work together with the farmers and their helpers out on the fields, building, helping to build terraces. Afterwards, a Swedish group. Uh, a Swedish development group also uh, joined uh, in, in development efforts in Rio Olympio. And um, they hired some of our graduates to work with farmers to do the terracing work. It, our, our, uh, the first step is to train the trainers and, you know, those people who can uh, build the models and help farmers to do these things and train others. Um, that was the first task. From that point on, once we had the train, as I say, we graduated the first class. It took eight years to graduate uh, the first group. Uh, and and from there, at that point, um, the, the the terracing on uh, that farmers were doing took off. Uh, terracing on the part of uh, coffee growers uh, became much more common. I don't know what happened exactly uh, in, since 1995 to, to date, because my contact with Rio Olympia has been uh, very minimal. So it's very hard for me to uh, to be able to answer to that. What I have observed as a fact as well, that the terracing has not been extended, but. You know, it, it is time and work and a poor farmer 
to do the terracing work needs some kind of uh, support structure around him or her. Um, that mean, might mean credit, that might mean technical uh, advice, that might mean, uh, you know, uh, for example, a coffee, uh, a coffee buyer. They're now exporting organic coffee from Rio Olympio. Uh, into two different areas. There are two different people uh, or groups that are buying uh, coffee up there. I believe one is a biodynamic buyer, Demeter Coffee, Demeter brand coffee, I believe, is uh, sold out of there. And uh, someone brought me back uh, a bag of coffee, which I can reach out and grab right here. I kept it. As, I was uh, thrilled to see it for the first time. Something called Gran Café Organico. We all know what's happening in Haiti now. At least we have a, a little bit of an idea of what's happening in Haiti now. It was yeah. just devastated by a terrible earthquake. Yeah. Uh, a country that has been uh, continually devastated by one political or natural disaster after another. Yeah. Now the bigwigs at the IMF and the UN are talking about a comprehensive plan for rebuilding Haiti. Yeah, I'm tearing my hair out already. What are your thoughts and feelings about Haiti and uh, the Dominican Republic and the way we forward? We were on the, ha the Dominican-Haitian border. Uh, Rio Limpio, I mean, this area, you have to understand, used to be Haiti. Uh, it was Trujillo back in the 1930s, I think 1937, somewhere around there, where they finally settled on the, uh, the borderline. Um, militarily, um, so that area is uh, people are technically Dominicans and, and by blood they're Haitian. Uh, families are intermarried, uh, and 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 so was Crayar, uh, and so was the uh, when it was a Peace Corps experimental station Rio Olympio. It was the same thing. I mean, we have been training and working with Haitians uh, for all these years. Uh, there have been special programs that have been developed for Haitians, uh, Haitian agronomists uh, to come and uh, work with us intensively for up to two weeks or three months even in some cases. So we have always anticipated from the very beginning, we've always anticipated the need to extend uh, uh, all of our work over into Haiti. The solution uh, uh, to Haiti's problems, uh, uh, the social problems, the political problems, the environmental problems, all rest in the hands of the small farmers, in fact, and their ability also, uh, to, to, to learn how to do the terracing, just as uh, the farmers did in Rio Limpio, our students there, and and the uh, the salvation of Haiti is is in the salvation of its watersheds uh, and and the reforestation of its of its uh, slopes and uh, and I say reforestation, I'm talking you know about agroforestry because there are nine million people living on one third of the island. The population of the, of the Dominican Republic, I don't think it's at nine million yet, and they've got, uh, uh, you know, that's two thirds of the island, and that's the better two thirds. Haiti's the, you know, the terrain in Haiti is, is uh, like more than eighty percent uh, uh, hillsides. Uh, 
I believe actually uh, via Wikipedia that both countries are about at 10 million. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, it's a it's a very dense densely populated island, and 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 everything that you see in Haiti today is continuing now in 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 the Dominican Republic, and unless that's reversed. Um, uh, uh, the Dominican Republic will go the way of Haiti, unquestionably. Unquestionably. And anybody, any any uh, any person in the field of agriculture or the environment or soil conservation, or you know, goes and visits, will see the process. I, we, the, there used to be a a, a very very sharply demarcated a line that followed the Haitian Dominican border down the front down the frontier zone from the north to the south and uh, if you're flying over in an airplane uh, Haiti would be brown and red and and uh, you wouldn't uh, see hardly any green or whatsoever and and then suddenly everything turns into a dense green like a like a jungle from the air and that's the Dominican side. Well, year by year, year by year, over all the years, that's how it was back in 1971 uh, when when we first uh, drove down the international highway. And year by year, as over the years, we have seen that brown extend, those the deforestation extending deep and deeper and deeper and deeper into the Dominican Republic until now that line uh, is no longer on the frontier. That line now has crossed the frontier and is deep into the uh, Dominican Republic, and the forests are continuing. Uh, the, the forest losses are continuing. This forest destruction is continuing. And when you say forest destruction is continuing, you mean that uh, water resources are being lost. Watersheds are being destroyed. Um, I mean, we can go on for a long time talking about this. It's so deeply related to all the climate change issues and and food security. And uh, I mean, it just goes on and on. And one hears about it all the time and reads about it all the time. But I don't, you, you know, you, we're not going to get college kids to go out there and spend 10 years in one spot uh, building terraces. You're not going to get volunteers. You're not going to get professionals. You're not going to get college-educated. Uh, uh, we saw a program uh, that was shown on PBS uh, not too long ago. I think it was called The Spine of the Dragon, and it was about the Chinese terrace farmers. Uh, and and one of those farmers said, you know, we can do this work. We do This is our lives. We have pride in what we do. This is hard work, building and maintaining these terraces year after year after year for a thousand years. Um, it, it, this is a part of our culture, and that's why we can do it. Now, the whole world is going to have to do that pretty soon. Well, in the so where are we going to build the resources? So those resources are only going to come out of people who are accustomed. They're only going to come from farmers, farming families, campesinos, the people who work, the small farmers, the millions and millions of small farmers that are all over the world. 
the farmers are going to have to reshape the earth. And we're going to have to support those farmers to do that. In the face of these grim realities, what gives you hope? <laughs> I'm tempted to immediately reply, nothing. <laughs> but uh, I really don't. Uh, th there isn't much around that, that gives me hope at the present time. I, I say that uh, because I... Uh, you know, people talk about technology and technology, but they're talking about computer junk. They're talking about, they're not talking about the technology of knowing how to lay a contour line, of going out on a, on a field with a farmer and laying out the farmer's contour lines or teaching the farmer to lay out the contour. They're not talking about the, uh, all, all of uh, that kind of technology, the field engineering that goes, I mean, you know, that technology is like totally ignored. We started a program here when I left uh, uh, the Dominican Republic. When I left Crayola. I came here to New Mexico, and um, in in 2000 we started a program, the first uh, two-year degree program at a community college here in Las Vegas. Um, we ran that program for five years. Um, it became the first program to be recognized by Peace Corps as qualifying a graduate uh, with a two-year degree to enter Peace Corps. Um, I had some hope when I saw that. Uh, well, my mind is jumping around to so many places now when I think about that. Um, uh, it's not a lot that gives me hope. I mean, the the young people that we worked with, they were wonderful, marvelous. The the, the farming people, the the folks that that are the the youth, uh, are eager. The young people are eager. They're hot to learn really good, strong, constructive work and to feel relevant. Um, but we have a bureaucracy. I am I am depressed about the about uh, the the technological mindset. Of of uh, of our universities, of our education system. I mean, everybody thinks about let's let's install uh, uh, computers in the classrooms. That's education. No, I'd like to destroy the classrooms. I'd like to tear down the schools. And not literally, of course, or figuratively. I'd like to tear down the 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 the, uh, the walls of the schools. Uh, our program here at the community college, we had 12 acres of of land that uh, that we developed gardens and we did, we built terraces. Everything that was done in the Dominican Republic, we were able to do here. Young people responded tremendously. The Peace Corps uh, was hot to get uh, our graduates. We were the first programs. I said that that they would. Uh, accept a two-year degree from. And uh, the school administration uh, closed down the program just when we had gotten a, a terrific uh, grant from the uh, New Mexico Youth Conservation Corps. Sixteen scholarships, full scholarships for students with pay. So, and, and, and the administration just shut it down. When they were asked, uh, interviewed by the local paper, the optic, uh, the president. Why did you Why did you turn down the grant, and why did you close the program? He refused to answer. So things like that uh, don't make me feel hopeful. Um, the, the fact that 
work on the land is uh, not well respected. The work of a farmer is is not understood in general and not respected. And uh, I don't see a lot of people yearning to become uh, small farmers anymore. There was a time <laughs> when I knew a lot of people yearning for that <laughs> some years ago. But uh, that seems to have diminished quite a bit. I don't know. Uh, I guess uh, uh, any hope that I have is residual as a result of my, my having been all my life a, a basically an optimistic person. And uh, the only thing that gives me hope is, is uh, uh, the human spirit is still there. There is uh, the human spirit is, I guess, what gives me hope. Well, on that note... That's Mark, very vague. <laughs> Sorry. It's the best I can do under the circumstances. You can call me back after I think of it for a while if you like. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Mark, Mark Feedman, thanks so much for sharing your experiences. And particularly, thank you for the 40 years of work that you have done in the Dominican Republic and elsewhere to educate farmers, to help people better take care of the land, and with a strong focus on education, we need more people like you out there in the field doing great work like this. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. That concludes my interview with Mark Feedman. And as we spoke about Haiti, if you are interested in helping Haiti in some way, I would recommend that you check out Architecture for Humanity. Uh, they are not involved in the relief efforts uh, to get food and medicine and the like to people who need it right away, but they will be heavily involved in rebuilding Haiti, uh, doing some projects to showcase what open source an open source approach can achieve in architecture. So I would encourage you to visit Open Architecture. I will link to that on the show notes for this episode. I will also link to a the Foul Soils Bulletin number six, which is actually Foul Soils Bulletin number six zero now. Uh, it is on books.google.com, so you can check that out. Uh, Mark Feedman was talking about that during the interview. And I will also link to the article uh, about CREAR that I referred to at the beginning of this interview. And I'm going to put up a slideshow, a flash-based slideshow, for the photos that I took while I was at CREAR in 2004 so you folks can get a sense of what it looks like. And actually, Mark Feedman sent me some other links with some images uh, from CREAR, so I will put that uh, put a link to those as well for the show notes to this episode of the Agro-Innovations Podcast. This is the Agro-Innovations Podcast, agroinnovations.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Until next time, saludos.